This is Our People in Mother Earth. Elizabeth Woody of the Museum of Warm Springs introduces Dr. Philip Cashcash at the recent workshop, Sacred Names in the Plateau. Work with us today to talk about how it is to work in museums. He worked for the Smithsonian for a number of years of repatriation and went to school and went to University of Arizona and received his PhD in linguistics and anthropology. We hope that we can bring back more speakers like Philip to tell us and talk to us about things that he's learned and the things that he's experienced. Dr. Cashcash has provided information in regards to selection of native name meanings, relationships to the land, and spirit of all things. Dr. Cashcash explains how he came to develop his presentation with elders like Atwai Chief Nelson Wolulitam and Atwai Verbena Green. Good evening, all of my people. Kakustita inim lilatua and my friends. I am glad to be here. I am going to share a little bit about things I've learned from my elders and then also things I've learned from the research I did while I was doing my doctorate for University of Arizona. And during that time, I collected a lot of information on naming and names in our plateau lifeway, not just Nespers, but you know, among all of the Columbia River people. So I'm gonna actually use one example from Chief Joseph, whose name is quite important, but it demonstrates for us how our link to the earth is really profound and our names really make a strong connection to the land and the creation. And working with our sacred material and our ancestors and all the uh, experiences I had and the things I've learned through that kind of work. And I haven't really had too much time to share a lot of those experiences. And I think it's important for people who do work in the museum to know and understand how connected we really are and how sacred our work is, working with our ancestors' collections. And I am also a practitioner, so to speak, meaning that my elders raised me a certain way and then I started learning from people who carried gifts with them throughout their lifetime, and including people like Nelson Walulitam and sharing my stories about Nelson in Verbena. She came to the Smithsonian once and really gave me a good, important things to know when I'm working with our ancestors. And so I learned a great deal from Verbena and Nelson, and I shared that with the staff today. Uh, so I'm gonna combine several things together. The meaning of our names, the link they have to the landscape and the link they have to the spirits of the land, so to speak, meaning that our creation and the land is alive with life in so many ways. Dr. Philip Cashcash brings forth the story, Name of Chief Joseph. My grandparents are here in this photo. They are the ones who raised me, raised in the sense of they're the ones who gave me all my teachings that I learned. My grandmother, Annette Black Eagle Burke, and then 
grandfather, Clarence Thompson Burke. I lived with them until they, they left this earth, and so I still carry a lot of their teachings, and they helped me. The way they put it, to live a good life, meaning a good life as a human being, which is a bit different from the way we understand living a modern life, so the, the way they talked to me was a little bit different than most people. Here I thought everyone had this, but as I got older, not everyone had this kind of guidance. And so now, today, I try to share as much as I can with people. And so today's talk, I'm going to share actually a story they gave me. And this story is what they shared with me. He was Chikawas. He was Chiwetchiwetchukwa. Kinik Hautnin Wattis he was. So we were talking one day at the dinner table and they started speaking this story. And so I'm speaking to you with this story now. Now I will bring, bring forth that which is known concerning the name Hin Matoyalatki. Inam titluma kunko hinanichna. Aha, ikuin he was wanikt. Hiwayam kinam awatas. My elders all used to say, Yes, it is a true name. It comes from this land. Talks kinu wataspa. Konahi was iwatam hiwanakin walawa lake. Ka kinukech hitawyanikanichna. Now here in this land, there is a lake called Walawa Lake in northeastern Oregon. And toward this place, there used to live the Walawa Band people. Thus, over time, it became known to them that a dangerous being, thunder, lives way deep inside the lake. In a great echoing manner, thunder would come out from the deep waters and ascend upward along the summit. There he would perch on the high peaks and because every so often he moved repeatedly, thunder sound would be echoing all over the land. Thus our ancestors truly understood in hearing it. This echoing became a valued knowledge in their day-to-day -day existence. Kausu wanikt haatima kahipimna naksit kinich kina hapai 
Tuitakishnim Viapim. In this manner, the name came out and it grew from one here among senior warriors' lineage. And his name is Tuitakis, and that is Joseph's father. Kakonichki Wenikt Hatkika Tuitakishnim Miats. Wako eta hiutsaya chukwenin kustit wako kia tsiktsich. And from there, this name went out onto senior warrior's child. Truly now it has become known the same as we are now speaking it. Ki wanikt he was chikatwish. He was chiwet chiwet chukwa. Kinich hautnin. What is he was? This name is a powerful name. It is precious knowledge. It is from the sacred earth, the, the sacred lake. Dr. Kashkash addressed parent-child teaching model. Our languages are becoming endangered, and so the transmission process from a parent to a child is now no longer taking place. And children aren't learning like they used to learn through that parent-child relationship. And as a result, our speech community is shifting from their ancestral language to English because the language is no longer spoken in the home and the transmission process is being broken. And now today, we kind of have a, like a, a surrogate process taking place where we teach the languages in the school and in the language program. And so that replaces or attempts to replace the transmission process. And for the most part, it's successful, but still there's kind of a bit of difference because the schooling process is a short duration, but living with a speaker, that's something that happens through a lifetime. And I spent many years with my grandparents and by the time they left this earth, they were talking directly to me, but I hadn't yet fully articulated back. And now, as an adult now, I can really articulate myself and speak, but now no one, they're gone and I had no one to talk to. There are a few elders at Lakway that I try to hang out with whenever I'm there, and they know that I was raised that way, and they, they come and they talk to me for as, for as much as they can in a short visit. They just talk and talk and talk, and they know I need to hear that, and so they do that for me. I'm very, really grateful for that. The naming ceremony was discussed. And growing up, you know, the, the naming tradition, you see it, and you, you might have been named yourself in a naming ceremony. I was it when I was... 12 or 13 years old, and actions that happen are a performance. The way the name comes, it gives a person an identity, and it, here in the creation, they are now known to the human world and the spiritual world and the creational realm. They're all known. So the name isn't just between them and other people. The name is now with them and the living creation, the animals, the, the mountains, the waters, everything that's living. You can say your name and 
tell the world who you are. And my grandparents always said that to me. When you go out into the mountains and you do whatever you're doing, collecting, hunting, or praying, you tell the world who you are. And so I always do that. We are told why we say our name three times at the naming ceremony. The other part of the naming is evoking a connection to our ancestors and they believe that, oh well, through this name now our ancestors return to us and now they're going to live through this person, live a good life like that ancestor once did and now that's pretty common today. In earlier times, it's actually there was another added component that, that we are missing from our current practice. In 2003, I did a little bit of documentation along the Clearwater River. There was this big long tent set up and they had a namings all day. And so my brother is there naming these two young boys and they're ready to give away things. And I don't know if you've ever seen my brother do a naming or he's really loud and he yells basically what's happening. And so he's here repeating the names three times and the way they said the name goes out across the land for all the creation to hear. And we too, the humans, are witness to that act and we call it a performative in terms of our the research and so basically we're, we're evoking kind of the strength of that name and at the same time we're having the world witness the name by, by speaking it three times. Reviewing Naming Ceremony So I wanted to show you what I found. So today, all of our names are, are becoming inherited through our ancestral lineage. Well, ancestry they find through their group lineage, their name. Individuals can go and use a childhood name, but usually you're not supposed to use your childhood name because it's symbolic. If you continue with your childhood name, that means you're never going to grow up, become an adult. And so, you're supposed to get a mature adult name. Individuals today, they can purchase a name and then they can also have a name composed based on a kind of a, an experience or, or wish from the parents. Or even from a birth event, I've had people ask, well, how could we give that baby this name? This thing happened when they were born. And so these are kind of what's happening today. It's partially ancestral known names known to us through our lineage. And then some of the purchases and compositions are happening. And essentially it's outside our experience. But even though it may be linked to our ancestors, it's still very significant and symbolic of our relationship. In earlier times, there was this highly experiential element where through our collective myth names were bestowed upon us. They're mythic names from mythic animals that were that's represented through all of our names. And individuals get names through their wake and their spirit guardian. They obtain names that way. Through warfare, people acquired names through significant actions that took place in warfare. There are even names from subsistence that 
they've had profound experiences and are life givers in the way they dig food or go out and gather things. That's their name and they're very strong in that sense that they're very abundant in food and their ability to collect food. And through dreams, people have dream names and then behaviors and events in the individual's life that they've composed um, names through very important events that took place. So this area is our ancestors' former way of naming, all very experiential, whereas today now we're focused on our ancestral lineage, looking at from a previous ancestor and naming a child through that link. But as a result of this process from the ancestry side, we find out, well, we're, we run out of names. We used up all of our family names. And now we're going to look to maybe purchase or have a name composed. So that's kind of the, the newer things that are happening now. I would say is, is a myth-associated name because of the story of thunder living in the lake and how the name was composed. So it is made from these words, Hinmat, which is the thunder. This is a, a fillable, vocable vowel set that links words together. It, it doesn't mean anything. It just connects the, makes it sound good. <laughs> this is Wea, uh, which is as one travels. Lakki is to move up and out of water. And the T, which turns all of this into a noun. That's how the name is composed. And the, the Nespilum elders said, you say it right. Don't, don't mumble it. Say it clearly. And really speak it with gusto, you know, say these names that way. <laughs> so if we, we say then that there's a, a spirit living in that lake, we would say that this is a mythic place where those type of beings live. And, and they're linked to a kind of mythic topography where throughout the plateau, there are locations where mythic beings did their warfare and other events and transformations and some were turned into rock or formations and so on and so forth. And we know them because the story is told about them. And they point out that's where that happened and so on and so forth. And so we grow up hearing those stories and they're very important and the more we keep it linked to the actual landscape, the better, because then we can actually take people there and make them learn the story rather than a classroom because, you know, my grandparents took me to the lake and they told me, this is what happened here. And that I remembered that, you know, forever. I could actually hear them now speaking to me. Dr. Philip Gashkash shares stories of a mythic place with a being and the importance for awareness today. Why these are important is, if you can imagine then, the mythic beings are doing their thing in the, in the mythic time, and they're linked to a particular place in the world. Uh, 
both in the mid times and then also in the current time, the current place. And so these two things become together in the landscape. I was doing work on the Columbia River at Miller Island and the elder James Salam was there. He came and he talked to us about that place. And he said, on the north side of Miller Island is that narrow channel that goes and the water goes fast, but right at the entrance is a big whirlpool. And there is where this mythic being lives deep in that whirlpool right there. And we're told not to go in there because we'll, we'll get swallowed up in that whirlpool. And so they warned us always to never go on that channel, go on the south side from where the mouth of the Malheur comes in, you stay on that south side and then you go around because that's where that mythic being lives. It's a dangerous place. So we can say then that all the warnings we have about these places are, are important and we should listen. And what I discovered then is that at these mythic locations, time collapses. So the mythic times are still evident at those places. And that's why they warn us to be careful around those places. And there's actually, when we did our work there on Miller Island in that whirlpool area on the rock that faces over that whirlpool, there's uh, an image of a two-eyed figure, a, a big head looking over that whirlpool. And I told them, I said, that, I bet that is that being witness now for that place. Shared knowledge is not new to our people and is told generation to generation, which was explained to attendees by Dr. Kashkash. Sacred Names in the Plateau at the Museum at Warm Springs. I am March Klamafor, Our People in Mother Earth on 91.9 FM KWSO.